Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Well, this morning, uh, we are continuing our sermon series, um, calling it Baptist Faith. Um, And this is what we actually believe. And so what we're doing in this sermon series is we're going through and asking questions about Baptist doctrine, Southern Baptist doctrine. Um, And we are comparing those answers uh, from a lot of the common AI chatbots, trying to see what they actually know or how accurate they can be to represent what we believe. Um, because, well, these, uh, these AI chatbots are a really good representation about the information that's out there on the Internet. So it's kind of like asking, what does the Internet know about what we believe? Or what does the Internet say what we believe as Southern Baptists? But then we're going to compare that answers or those answers with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 and uh, what the scriptures actually say. This morning, our question is, what do Southern Baptists believe about grace? You might have noticed that our songs this morning were kind of grace-themed. Um, and... Uh, so like I said, we're comparing the AI chatbot answers along with the Baptist faith and message, and what does the Bible actually say? Um, this morning, if you're in our Facebook chat group, um, I shared uh, three podcasts from the, the Church Answers podcast, uh, and this is Tom Rainer's podcast. How many times can I say podcast in one paragraph? But um, in those uh, episodes, there we go, in those episodes, they're going through and they're looking at um, what does AI mean for the church or, or what, is it, what, what do we have to do about this in the church? The first episode is just kind of an introduction with some background information. The second, episodes, uh, the second episode is positives for AI in the church, and the third one is negatives for AI in the church. And I'll be honest, I, I shared them with you all because I think it's good information for all of us, but also um, a lot of it is very specific to the pastor um, and things that the pastor needs to look out for, be careful of. Um, so I still think that it'd be a good listen for you all. But we'll go ahead and pray, and we'll get into this topic about what do Southern Baptists believe about grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we praise you for all the goodness that you give to us. We thank you for the goodness that you give to us. Lord, this morning, as we dig into this question about grace, I ask, God, that you will give us grace and understanding, Lord, understanding who you are and draw us near to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So first up, I asked ChatGPT, what do Southern Baptists believe about grace? And here's that answer. Southern Baptists, like other Baptists, generally adhere to the theological concept of grace found in traditional Protestant Christianity. They believe in the doctrine of sola gratia, which means grace alone. Here are some key beliefs held by Southern Baptists regarding grace. Salvation by grace. Southern Baptists emphasize that salvation is a result of God's grace alone. They believe that individuals are saved by God's unmerited favor and not by their own efforts or good works. It is through God's grace that a person is justified and reconciled to him. Man, I like that right there. That's a really good start so far. Continuing, uh, it says uh, total depravity. Southern Baptists affirm the doctrine of original sin, which teaches that humans are born with a sinful nature inherited from Adam and Eve. They believe that this sinfulness separates humanity from God and makes salvation solely dependent on God's grace. ChatGPT seems to be hitting the nail on the head this morning. Keeping going, regeneration. Southern Baptists believe in the concept of regeneration or new birth, which is a work of God's grace. They teach that when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, they are born again spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit. This regeneration is a result of God's grace and enables believers to have a personal relationship with God. 
Now, I think it's very interesting how this ties in perfectly with the first sermon in this series. Do you remember what that one was? The first sermon in this series? It was, what do Southern Baptists believe about baptism? Uh, and so that baptism is a picture of this regeneration that it's talking about. It's us being uh, dead to our original sinful flesh and risen again, born again by grace in God. And so that regeneration is a picture, or baptism is a picture of regeneration. Um, prevenient grace. Some, notice there it says some, some Southern Baptists also affirm the concept of prevenient grace which is the belief that God's grace is at work in a person's life before they come to faith in Christ. Prevenient grace is seen as drawing individuals toward God, preparing their hearts to respond to the gospel message. And it does say some Southern Baptists, and I would add to that uh, some Southern Baptists who are right, uh, because I do think this is biblical. Prevenient grace is biblical. Uh, Jesus says that nobody comes to him except those who the Father calls. That means that God has to call us to him before we can respond to salvation. Also, again, I mentioned the the Voice of the Martyrs podcast earlier. In that podcast, several times over the years I've been listening to it, there are these stories from missionaries where they're they're reporting back and they're talking about how they go to this, this village who's never heard the gospel before. There has been no access to the gospel. But they'll go to a village and they'll meet with one of the village elders. And this village elder will tell them, about a dream that they had recently, about a man in white. Now, they don't know the identity of this man, but this man tells them that there's going to be somebody coming to visit them bringing truth. Or sometimes there'll be people in uh, these countries that are closed to the gospel where it is illegal to share the gospel, but people will have a vision of a man that they've never seen before. They've never heard of this man before, but they know his name is Jesus. And he tells them, about the gospel. And so when the missionary comes and starts sharing the gospel, the person says, oh yes, I met this Jesus in a vision. And God is working in their hearts, preparing their minds for when the gospel truth actually comes to them. So this prevenient grace, I would say, is yes, it's true biblically, and we hear reports from missionaries all over the world talking about this prevenient grace. So I would say, where it says some Southern Baptists, I would say some Southern Baptists who are right also affirm. All right, um, Perseverance, sorry, perseverance of the saints. Southern Baptists generally hold to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, also known as once saved, always saved. They believe that God's grace is sufficient to keep believers secure in their salvation and that those who are truly born again cannot lose their salvation. And finally, ChatGPT closes out by saying, it is important to note that while these beliefs about grace are commonly held among Southern Baptists, there may be some variation in individual beliefs within the denomination Southern Baptist Convention is a large and diverse group, and there can be theological diversity on certain doctrines, including the specific understanding of grace. Yes, that is true. ChatGPT hit the nail on the head this morning. A really good answer. Moving over to Google Bard. All right, so this is Google's AI chatbot. So I asked, what do Southern Baptists believe about grace? And Google Bard answered, Southern Baptists believe that salvation is a gift from God, not something that can be earned by good works. This is known as grace. They believe that God loves everyone and wants to save everyone, but that people are sinful and cannot save themselves. Really good start. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of all people, and those who believe in him sorry, and, and those who believe in him and receive him as their savior are saved by grace. Well, let's see. Google Bard seems to be off to a really good start as well. Southern Baptists believe that grace is not just a free gift 
but also a powerful force that transforms people's lives. When people receive God's grace, they are forgiven of their sins and made new creatures in Christ. They are given the Holy Spirit to help them live a godly life and grow in their faith. Really good stuff so far. All right, last up. Oh, wait. I'm not done with Google Bard yet. Grace is central to the Southern Baptist understanding of salvation. They believe it is the only way to be saved and that it is a gift that is available to everyone. Uh, so, again, I think Google Bard's answer is pretty good here. It's a little bit less detailed than ChatGPT's, but I, I really like this last slide here. Grace is central to Southern Baptist understanding of salvation. It is the only way to be saved. Salvation is only by, God, by grace from God. It is a gift. If you earn something, it's not a gift anymore. That's wages. Salvation is a gift. That's what makes it grace. All right, last one, Microsoft Bing Chat. All right, Microsoft Bing Chat says, I asked, what do Southern Baptists believe about grace? And it says, Southern Baptists believe that grace, that God's grace can be resisted, and this results in a person not being saved. They also believe in the sovereignty of God and that, his, that he sovereignly gave man a free will with which to respond or not respond. I hope this helps. Let me know if you have any other questions. The very short answer again. Uh, and this one might actually be the most debated answer here. Google Bard and uh, ChatGPT both noted that Southern Baptist denomination is a big denomination. There's some theological discrepancies among the different churches or among different believers. Um, and this talks about uh, grace that can be resisted. Depending on who you ask, there would be some who have serious problems with this statement from Bing. Um, some very intelligent Southern Baptists, especially those who are more in line with John Calvin's teachings. One of the five doctrines of Calvinism is irresistible grace, uh, which basically says that if God has chosen you to be saved, if God is calling you to be saved, you cannot resist his grace. That's irresistible grace. Um, so on top of that, I would say this answer again, it's extremely short. This is two weeks in a row now that Bing has given us a, a very short answer. And this one being pretty debated, I tried, a, I tried something a little bit different. So when you log into uh, Bing chat, it gives you three options. It, said, uh, it, it asks you to choose a conversation style. Um, one in the center there where you see it's highlighted in blue, that one is more balanced. Off to the left of that is more creative and off to the right is more precise. Well, I've been using the more balanced option and now, I don't know, maybe they changed something in their algorithm or changed something in their settings, I don't know. But like I said, the last two weeks has been a really, really short answer and really not that helpful. So this week I clicked over to more creative to see what it said. So here's what that said. I asked the same question, but this time more creative. What do Southern Baptists believe about grace? Southern Baptists are a denomination of Christians who hold to the authority of Scripture and practice adult believers' baptism by immersion. That doesn't really have much to do with grace. Um, they have different views on various doctrines such as Calvinism and Arminianism, but generally they believe that God's grace can be resisted and that human beings have a free will to respond or not respond to the gospel. They also believe that God is sovereign and that He loves all people and desires their salvation. Southern Baptists affirm that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The second slide here, really good. That first slide there, again, is talking about the grace that can be resisted. Hmm. Apparently, Bing is more Arminian than Calvinist because Bing, again, denies this irresistible grace. By the way, I'm not a Calvinist. 
but I do agree with the irresistible grace doctrine of Calvinism. But we're not here to debate Arminianism versus, doc, uh, Arminianism versus Calvinism. By the way, those big words I know, it's basically free will versus predestination. That's kind of that argument there. It's way oversimplified description of it, but that's the, the argument there. So for the next answer, we go to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Again, this is kind of our, as a denomination, our official statement of faith. Um, it's voted on by the denomination. Our last update was in the year 2000, so it's the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. So this is what that says. Sorry. Here we go. Election is the gracious purpose of God, according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means in, in connection with the end. It is the, great, it is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness and is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes humility. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall uh, persevere to the end. So there's your perseverance of the saints. That first slide, though, it's a little bit confusing. You really got to dig into that one a little bit to kind of pick apart what it's saying. Um, but the second slide there, that's the perseverance of the saints. And then uh, believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves. That's talking about discipline, God disciplining believers. Um, yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. All right. That answer, I'll be honest with you, of all the answers so far this morning, that one's the most confusing. There's a lot of stuff in there to pick out. We don't got time for all of that, um, but I will say that um, this slide, this paragraph here is talking more about God's discipline. The second slide was uh, perseverance of the saints, and the first slide is talking about God's purpose of grace and, and the specific um, details about God's plan. Um, I do like, I'm going to come back to it in a minute, that, the last sentence down there. God's grace, it excludes boasting and promotes humility. I'll come back to that later, so I just wanted to highlight that again. Excludes boasting and promotes humility. All right, so what does the Bible say about grace? Well, again, there are a lot, a lot of passages that we could turn to to talk about grace. We don't have time to get to all of them this morning, so I'll just hit a few highlights um, and, and kind of hopefully paint a picture that, that gives us a good understanding of grace. If you all go ahead, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 119, um, I will say one thing that I, I have as a complaint against all of the, all the answers that we've read so far, none of them define grace. They talk about grace, they give applications of grace, but none of them define grace. In the past, I've, I've defined grace several times and contrasted it with mercy. Grace and mercy are two different concepts, but they are closely related. They're intertwined, but they are different, right? Because of that, many people get grace and mercy confused. So mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. It's not getting the punishment that you do deserve. Let me give you an example, all right? So this is an example of mercy. When I was in college, I got pulled over for speeding. And when I say I was speeding, I mean I was speeding a lot. Um, when the cop pulled me over, he asked me where I was going in such a hurry. I told him the truth. I said, officer, I just got out of class at UNC Pembroke, and I'm driving to Hope Mills because I'm supposed to be singing in a funeral in 10 minutes. I was in Red Springs. So it's a bit of a tight, 
uh, tight squeeze there. Um, now, those reasons, that reason, does not excuse me from the law. That reason does not mean that I don't deserve the punishment for speeding. I still deserved that punishment. But that officer that day, thank God, that officer had mercy. He did not give me the punishment I deserved. I was speeding enough that I shouldn't have gotten a ticket. I was speeding enough that I should have had my license revoked and thrown in jail. I was going 70 to 35. But anyways, that officer had mercy on me that day. I did not get the punishment that I, do, that I did deserve. Thankfully, uh, I, I only got a warning. All right, so today we're not talking about mercy, though. That's mercy. Today we're talking about grace. So what does the Bible say about grace? Well, first, first thing that we want to know is that God gives grace to all. Notice I, didn't, I still didn't define grace there. We'll come back to that. God gives grace to all, right? So this, we see this in Romans 1.19. It says, they know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. See, God himself reveals himself through his creation. Creation itself reflects God. When we look at the beauty of creation, we are seeing the beauty of God. When we look at the order of creation, we're seeing God's orderliness. When we look at how creation is is perfectly made, we're seeing God's perfection. Creation is revealed in God. This is gracious because we, through our sinful nature, we reject God. We have broken our relationship with him and we rejected him. We insult him, we deny him, and we reject him. We broke the relationship with him that we were created to have. But God graciously reaches out and reveals himself to us. He calls out to us from the beauty of creation so that we can all know him. Next, turn to Acts 14, 16. So another way that God gives grace to all through creation is that he created, or creation itself, sustains, sorry, he created and sustains the universe in such a way that earth supports life. Again, God created and sustains the universe in such a way that earth supports life. Now, I just said earlier that we reject God, we deny him, we insult him with our sin. Because of that, we all deserve death and eternal punishment. The fact that we don't get immediate death and eternal punishment is mercy. But on top of that, it's not just mercy, but God is gracious in that he has created our universe in such a way that we can still live. Earth supports life. So in Acts 14, 16, uh, it says, In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never let them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends rain and uh, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. So God sending the rain to produce crops. It is grace. Now this is grace for all people. Both of these examples that we talked about is grace for all people. That's called common grace. It's common because all humanity experiences it. So common grace is grace for all mankind. But it's even more than just the rain and the crops, right? It's the perfect balance of oxygen in the atmosphere. If the percentage of oxygen in our atmosphere was off by just a couple percentage points, we would either, if it was lower, we would all suffocate to death, Or, if it was a little bit higher, we'd all burn up. 
it's not just that. It's also Earth's perfect spot in our solar system. Scientists call it the Goldilocks zone because we're not too close to the sun where we'd burn up. We're not too far away from the sun where we'd be frozen to death. But we're in that Goldilocks zone. And it's not just that. It's the size of Jupiter. Jupiter is a perfect size to suck up all the meteors and asteroids that would have come and destroyed Earth many, 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 many years ago. It's not just that. There are over 120 different details about the way the universe is perfectly tuned so that Earth supports life. God has perfectly tuned our universe. He governs over it. And he maintains it in such a way that Earth supports life. That is common grace because all humanity gets that grace. We all get to live instead of be punished for our sins immediately. That is God's grace to all mankind. It is common grace. All right, so now we're going to move from common grace to specific grace or special grace. All right, so turn to Ephesians 1. Now, I said we could be all over the Bible this morning, all over the place, um, but the first few chapters of Ephesians talk a lot about grace. And so for the rest of the sermon this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians, and we'll take a quick walk through the first few chapters. All right? So this passage, we're going to see that God's grace is an outpouring of his love, and it is done for his pleasure and for his glory. So Ephesians 1, start in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So those blessings right there, we don't deserve those blessings, but God gives them to us as his children. That's grace. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So even before creation began, even before God created anything, he chose those who he was going to call to be saved. He chose us. Well, obviously, if this was before creation ever happened, there's nothing we could have done to deserve it because we weren't even... We were long, long away from being born yet. Uh, verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gives him great pleasure. So we see this grace. And we are saved, and that grace, it gives God pleasure. God is pleased with our salvation. It gives him pleasure. God is pleased when he gives us grace. A good and loving father enjoys giving gifts to his children. And so God giving us these gifts, it is grace and he enjoys it. It gives him pleasure. Also, it's what he wanted to do. Him adopting us into his family, it was his plan. It is what he wanted to do. Paul points out that, that God wanted to do this and he is pleased by it. It brings God pleasure pleasure to show us his grace. Go on down to verse 12, right? Where we can see that the purpose of God's grace is for his praise and glory. So we saw first that grace is not pouring of God's love. Then we saw that it gives him pleasure. And uh, we saw that it's what he wanted to do. But now we see that grace is for God's praise and glory. Right? So in Ephesians 12, starting in verse 12, it says, God's purpose was that we Jews, now remember Paul was writing, to the church in Ephesus. So in Ephesus, it was a major town, and you had people who were raised in a Jewish background, people who were raised in a Roman or a Greek background, or many of the different cultures within the Roman Empire. So Gentiles. You had these two different groups who both came to salvation. They both became Christian. Now, you still had all that history between them. So you had these two different groups. It says that we Jews... 
who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now that you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So, all praise to God. God's glorious, or sorry, God's purpose was that we Jews, and so the Jews, first to believe in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. So, those who are saved, bringing praise and glory to God, started in Jerusalem, right there on the day of Pentecost. And then, it spread throughout the Roman Empire. That those who are saved, praising and glorifying God, spreading, starting with the Jews, and spreading throughout the Roman Empire. The purpose of God's grace is that more and more people will be praising and glorifying God. That is the purpose of God's grace. Expand the pool of people who are saved. That means more people praising God. But now, what does salvation have to do with grace? Everything. Everything. So what does salvation have to do with grace is everything. Um, earlier, ChatGPT mentioned sola gratia. Right? And that is grace alone. It's Latin for grace alone. Uh, we are saved by grace alone. Salvation is not just something that we can earn, but it is a gift that we are given. All right, look over to chapter 2, uh, and it's verses 8 and 9. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I you know, saw this, what, is salvation, or what, is, what do Southern Baptists believe about grace? This was the first passage that I thought about, and I thought, I know I cannot preach this sermon and not bring this passage up. Laurie might throw something at me. <laughs> Because anytime we talk about grace, she brings this passage up. Well, it is so fitting. It is a perfect description of what grace has to do with salvation. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Earlier I said, uh, when we were looking at the, uh, the Baptist Faith and Message answer, about how grace promotes humility? It's right here. We cannot boast about our salvation because we didn't earn it. I didn't do anything to be saved. The only thing that I brought to the table for negotiation with salvation, if, if, if we could picture salvation as a negotiation between us and God, the only thing that I can bring to that negotiating table is my need to be saved. I didn't do anything to earn it. I earned punishment. I earned God's wrath. But grace, beautiful grace, God's glorious grace, he came and he said, no, place your faith in me. And all of that will be wiped away. And I will give you a gift of eternal life. My need trumped by God's grace. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. Scripture says that our best works are nothing more than filthy rags. God's beautiful grace takes all that and wipes it clean and says, You are mine, and I will make you holy. Finally, we turn to Ephesians 3, chapter 6, and we see that grace is unifying. Unifying. Right? Grace should unite us. Now, unity, not uniformity. Right? There's a big difference there. Grace should bring unity, not uniformity. All right, so starting in Ephesians 3, 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same family and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. 
Uh, so earlier I was kind of painting a picture of the city of Ephesus and the church there in Ephesus, where you had those from a Jewish background and those from a Gentile background coming from all over the Roman Empire and all those different cultures there in the Roman Empire and bringing their cultural significances and their cultural practices and all their heritage with them, saved and coming to the church. And then you had those from the Jewish background and all the history there and all the culture and traditions there saved and coming to the church. Generations of strife, generations of differences. You had cultural differences, you had racial differences, you had traditions that were different, all sorts of differences. And Paul says all that is brought into unity under grace. In our world, people divide over all sorts of things. Like I said, in the early Ephesian church, there was a racial divide. Huge tension between the Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Paul shows that through God's grace, those divisions should be broken. No longer are they Jews and Gentiles. No, now they are all God's children. They are part of the same family. I'm not going to pretend that this one verse is going to fix all of our racial problems in our country, all of our, our racial tensions in our country. This one verse can't fix all of that. But it does show how grace steps in and becomes a reconciling force with these differences. When I look at my brother and sister in Christ, no matter what physical differences there are, no matter what racial differences there are, no matter what cultural differences there are, no matter what historical differences there are, when I look at my brother and sister in Christ, we have more in common than a lost person living next door to me. I'm going to say that again. When I look at my brother and sister in Christ, no matter where they come from, no matter what background they have, I have more in common with them than I do with the neighbor who might have the exact same culture as me, other than being Christian. We talk about uh, these earlier in the in the sermon we talked or earlier in the service we talked about these Christians coming to faith in parts of the world that are hostile to the gospel, places in Afghanistan where people are, are learning the gospel and coming to faith. I have more in common with those new believers in Afghanistan than I do with a lost person who lives across the street from me in Hope Mills. The grace of God separates, I'm sorry, no, breaks down those separations. The grace of God comes in and rips down the dividing wall that separated Gentile and Jew. And it brings us together. We can work together because of God's glory. Now, I'm not saying that we will be the same, it's unity, not uniformity. I think God is glorified in our differences. All right, so moving over to our application. So our application always comes from our definition of a disciple and our three indicators of a disciple, and that's knowing, being, and doing. So know, know what we believe about grace. All right, so quick summary of what I've said so far. Grace, here's the, oh, here's the definition that I haven't given you yet. All right, grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. Not the same as mercy. Mercy is not getting the bad stuff you do deserve. Grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. Grace is a gift that we cannot earn. What we deserve because of our sin is death and eternal punishment in hell. God shows us mercy by not giving, us to, giving that to us. But like I said, grace is intertwined with mercy. All people receive God's grace through the goodness of his creation and his keeping creation in such a way that supports life. God extends special grace to some through salvation. We are saved because of God's grace, not because of our merit. 
We receive this special grace through faith in Jesus. The B application is to be saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can, can boast about it. Or to quote ChatGPT, I think this is the first time I've quoted one of the AI chatbots in the application, but here it is. Salvation is a result of God's grace alone. They, Southern Baptists, believe that individuals are saved by God's unmerited favor and not by their own efforts or good works. It is through, great, through God's grace that a person is justified and reconciled to him. If you are lost, if you are trying to earn your salvation, if you're trying to do enough good stuff to, to, to wipe away all the bad stuff that you've done, which is what our culture would teach, that you have to earn it, that there's some merit that you can do, if you're trying to do that, or maybe you're just, you just feel overburdened by the brokenness in your life. You feel overburdened by the guilt of your sin. There's nothing you can do to make up for it. Well, I will say on that, you're off to a good start. There is nothing we can do to pay for our sins, but Jesus already did. And by his grace, we can have his righteousness if we just place our faith in him. So call out to him for salvation. He is a loving God, and he offers this gift to all. And our due application is to work towards unity. God's grace should lead to reconciliation and unity in our personal relationships, especially in the church, as mentioned in Ephesians 3.6. This unity does not mean uniformity. If you continue to read through Ephesians, we see that Paul talks about God's multifaceted wisdom. I love that word, multifaceted. It's like when you're, you're looking at a, a diamond that's been cut by a, a really good diamond cutter. When you look through it and you turn it, it flashes and, and it shines in different ways because the light is going in and hitting the different faces and angles and it's, pointing, it's shining back at you at different times. Those are the facets. So a multifaceted diamond. It's, it's shining in all different ways. And that's how Paul describes God's wisdom. It's being multifaceted. Earlier in the sermon series, when we were talking about man, what do Southern Baptists believe about man? And I said that man is created in God's image. Now, we all have our own unique differences, our own unique personalities. Well, God is infinite, and we are finite. No one person can completely encapture all of the image of God. And so I think those differences, those differences that glorify God, those differences that we have that glorify God are all different reflections of his multifaceted wisdom, his, his infinite personality shining through us in different ways. And so when we come together as a body of believers, we're showing God's image better. When we bring in other cultures and other, other backgrounds and other, other people from different um, places, and we see them all in one place together worshiping the same God, that is God's image being reflected in many different ways. It's the multifaceted uh, wisdom of God. When we come together in unity, but accepting and honoring our differences, we better represent God and we get a better glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. Unity is not uniformity. We work toward unity for the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's in your word. Father, mostly we thank you for your grace. That you came down and took the punishment that we deserve so that we could be made right with you. This gift of salvation, not that we could earn it, because we could never earn it, but you choose to give it to us anyway because you love us. 
God, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who is not saved, who does not know you, that, you will be, that they will be overwhelmed by your grace and that, that they will come to you in faith. For those of us who do know you, God, I pray that you will help us to continually surrender to that grace so that we can be made, uh, so that we can be a united family growing and growing closer to you every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.